buddy. Is that in the podcast? <laughs> Is that the opening to the podcast right there? <laughs> it should be, right? <laughs> okay, give me a little something, dude. Uh, Mike, check. What's going on? Thanks for listening to Worship Local. I am so excited for this podcast because today you get to sit in on a conversation between me and one of my pastor friends in the Des Moines area, Cam Scott. Uh, Cam is a buddy of mine and he planted Cityscape Church in Des Moines a year or two before Frontier Church. But what really interests me about Cam's journey as a lead pastor is that a year ago, he began to transition his young, vibrant, passionate church from a non-liturgical church to a liturgical church. So in this episode, we're going to talk about things like why would he lead his church in that direction? What type of pushback does he get? And what type of fruit has he seen in his church as a result of this decision? Big picture, what I'd like for us to know is that we are not the only passionate, gospel-centered church that does liturgy in Des Moines. This conversation is riveting. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope that this podcast helps you worship local. Okay, dude, I think we're I think we're good. I think we're ready to kick it off. You cool? Ready to go. Cam Scott, dude, huge, huge, huge fan. Love you, dude. It's so fun to have you on the podcast right now. How are you doing during COVID? Man, I am good. First of all, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's dude. such a privilege to be here with you, hanging out with you. Um, I'm good. Uh, 2020 was a great year for me. A lot of time to reflect, slow down. Obviously, ministry slowed mm. down a lot um, with the not as many physical gatherings that we had usually have and are accustomed to. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm good, man. COVID's been, uh, it's been rough, obviously, with the effects of some of the people within our church, um, some of the fears that have come with it. Um, but being able to shepherd through that, it's been a unique challenge, and I love it, and I'm grateful for it, and uh, it's sharpening me, and it's uh, giving me a broader perspective, I think. You know, you never think you're going to have to pass through a pandemic. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, you're for never sure, really buddy. ready for that, right? And so um, it comes with its own unique challenges, but... Um, nonetheless, um, God's been faithful, man, and it's been it's been good. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, obviously, like we're we're tight. We've been friends for these last few years. Yeah. Um, but like, no doubt, there's going to be people at Frontier Church who don't know who you are. Yeah, for just sure. Give us a little uh, Instagram bio. Just yeah. snapshot snapshot yourself for us. Uh, Cam Scott, uh, uh, lead planner, pastor of Cityscape Church, started in 2015, July. Um, my wife, Sarah, is the love of my life. We've been married for seven and a half years. We'll be eight this June. Sarah's awesome, dude. Sarah, incredible. Love her to death. Um, I have two boys, Titus, who is four, uh, and then Micah, who just turned two this past week. Um, Titus and Micah are my little boys. Love them to death. That's that's the max there, having mm. no more children. Um, two boys is what we wanted, and that's what the Lord blessed us with. Um, I'm originally from California, moved out here, uh, went to Simpson College, graduated in 12 um, pastor, youth pastored for a couple few years, and then started Cityscape 2015. So yeah, dude, you. I mean, you guys are a little over a year older than us, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So you guys have uh, you've been loving the city longer than us. You've been a church planner. You have way. I'm I'm a year older than you, but yeah. you have way more ministry experience than I do. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you, you you planted before us. You had ministry experience prior yeah, to that. Yeah. 
yep, yep, yeah. And then you know, my dad's a pastor as well, so I grew up doing ministry. I mean, when your yeah. dad's a, when your dad's a planner as well, you know that how that works. It's just kind of you're involved in it by yeah. default. So yeah, unique experience, um, nonetheless. But yeah. So, dude, I'm psyched about this conversation because yeah, I can't too. wait to dig me into too, the man. way that Cityscape Church has evolved mm-hmm. over these last few years. Your your transition from being a non-liturgical church yeah. to a liturgical church. So yeah. that's going to be super fascinating. Yeah. Um, but before that, we gotta we got let, let's just chat a, yeah. a little bit more, man. Um, do you remember our first conversation? Shoot, man. Mars Cafe. Yeah, I do. I do. Yep. I hadn't moved. I, do. I hadn't moved to Des Moines yet. Yep. I think you had already planted Cityscape yep. Church. People were like, "Dude, you got to connect with Cam Scott." Yep. Do you remember that? Comment? I do remember it. I do actually remember it very well. Now that, now that you said it, I couldn't remember the actual conversation yeah, until yeah. you put the location. And so I remember, yeah, Mars Cafe. I do remember that conversation. You have any takeaways from that conversation? Did anything stand out to you? I know um, it's been forever, dude. I knew at that moment in time, your charisma. Your energy, your passion <laughs> was they were all exemplified in that conversation, and I yeah, knew that yeah. um, that whatever you were gonna do was gonna come with that. Um, yeah. Just that passion, like just talking to you, um, just your voice inflections and things like that. I'm like, this dude really loves what he's about to enter into, uh, um, yeah. and I was actually really excited. You know, how sometimes you feel threatened in your, you know, you just kind of feel insecure. I'm playing a church, and sometimes yeah. that can rise up in you a little bit. Um, I never got that feeling with you. Oh, um, honest yeah, to God, it was like I'm genuinely excited about um, what you were doing, um, and yeah, your vision, man. It was it was super dope to me. So like, yeah, I, I, it was so. And at the time, it was so different from Cityscape. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like you know, you guys is uh, wanting to be your grandparents' church that you know, like me and your slogan. I'm like, oh, you guys yeah, like, yeah, yeah. well, Cityscape was certainly wasn't trying to be the grand your grandparents' church. No, um, no, not at all. And so I thought I was excited to kind of see what that would look like and what that entailed. So. Yeah, man, I definitely remember that. It's crazy. I remember feeling like a turd after that conversation, dude. Really? Because I don't know if you remember that. I mean, I loved our time together. Yeah. And I was like, this dude is legit. And sometimes you just bump into people and like right away, you've got a church planter meter that goes, you know, yeah, right, barometer. Right, right. And I'm like, this dude's yeah. just a church planter. Yeah. He totally is. Yeah. But you would ask me about some of my favorite theologians or pastors. Oh, Yeah. And I started like ripping on on Hillsong. Oh, do you remember? Yeah, that? I, I do. Was like, I, was I do. Like, no, I'm, do. Not, I'm not into like Carl Lentz yeah. and like Hillsong and that crap and blah 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 blah. And I didn't know it, but at that point in time, you you had like you were influenced by them. Yeah. Well, you know what the crazy and thing you is, you told me that you kind of rebuked yeah, me. I no, think. No, no. I think so. Here's the thing. So my thing, my thing, how I gauge, you know, my way of getting to know guys, especially pastors and whatnot, is you always ask them who they listen to, who you read. You know, yeah, who yeah, are some of right. your influences and that kind of is a gauge for you a little bit of who they are kind of some kind of insight and so that was my only reason you could you know oh, I, yeah, you could yeah. have said anyone and my, my whole point was just to hear oh he likes so and so which kind of indicates um, he might be this type of guy or whatever right just kind of thinking presumptuously without actually knowing you so no I, yeah, I wasn't offended yeah. by any means by I'm that or good, nothing man. like that it was just like hey if he likes him he likes him if he doesn't he doesn't but yeah I kind of have a better gauge on on who he is, and you know, you know who you know who it was. I was like, this dude is a younger, much shorter version of Matt Chandler, <laughs> which yeah. I know we talked about in the past, right? You got that a lot shorter, but at the time, that's what yeah. went through my head. It was like, you know, he's like he reminds me of Matt Chandler. It was just like that passion, yeah, yeah. Um, and that energy, and you know, his his his, his gospel centrality. I mean, just it's there, it's there, right? Yeah, and yeah. Um, I was reminded of him talking to you that time. So. Um, 
Somebody, uh, somebody one time, this like deep, this kind of cut me a little bit. This was like three years ago. Yeah. But somebody had commented on our, our church's Instagram on, on one of the sermon clips. Like, yeah. Oh, I didn't know Matt Chandler was in Des Moines. Oh, and I was like, dude. Oh man. But I remember when I was a junior in college, Yeah. I'd been following Jesus for two years uh-huh. and I had struggled to fit into the church. I didn't feel like, like as an ex athlete, kind of a punk hardcore kid, I just never felt like I had a place in the church. And yeah. I just always felt like the prickly pear walking yeah. in with the black yeah. skinny jeans who yeah. was way too everything. Yeah. And I never felt like I fit in. And I never felt like I was smooth or polished enough to be a part of a church. Yeah. And when I started listening to Matt Chandler as a junior in college, I remember being in my dorm room mm-hmm. crying. Yeah. Just thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. God can use yeah. my prickliness god can use my passion god yeah. god can use those things and for sure i remember feeling like i i had a place when i watched yeah. chandler Absolutely. and driscoll at the time yeah so. yeah driscoll yeah 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 for sure yeah for sure yeah those guys um you know i really got a, a, accustomed to those guys you know that remember the elephant room mm. watching those so right, yeah. that's when i was really like whoa because you know I, I grew up in the southern baptist and so whatnot with my dad being a pastor and I knew all the black pastors. I knew all the black preachers. But when it came to the white dudes, I, I didn't really know a whole lot of them. I knew, you know, yeah, I knew sure, Chuck dude. Swindoll. My yeah. dad had a lot of Chuck Swindoll books and things like that, and um, and Chuck Smith and things like that. But when it came to like some of these evangelical pastors who were somewhat younger and kind of rising up, sure. I had no yeah. idea. So the Elephant Room really introduced me to a lot of these guys. So that's where I met Chandler and Driscoll, and that's where I came across Furtick, and that's where I came across, um, um, uh, what's his name, the dude from Alabama. Um, Radical, uh, uh, radical. Oh, Platt. Platt, David, David Platt. Platt. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was that was my first introduction to those guys. Wasn't that a brilliant concept? The yeah. Elephant Room. Yeah. I think it only lasted like two years, but yeah. the idea was, hey, what if we invited some of the top theologians to yep. debate specific issues? Yeah. And I remember it. Chandler and Furtick was kind of heated. It was. Right? Like, it was. It was that, and that was a really good conversation at the time because, yeah. you know. Um, just two completely different approaches to ministry, right? Um, 100%. And I remember listening to that and just being really intrigued by both of their responses to that, uh, having to do with who the, who, who the Sunday gathering is for, right? Is it for the believer or the non-believer, I think, is what it was about. Um, and it was like, wow, this is, this is wild. And, it, and they, both could, they both gave pretty decent responses. I mean, I think you can mm-hmm. empathize with both sides for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I lean more towards Chandler um, as far yeah, as what too. my response would have been, but... Um, I, I guess you know it was it was a, it was a cool show. It was a cool little cool little thing for them to do. At the end of the day, the answer is yes. Right. Right. Is, right. is church for right. the unbeliever, the believer? The answer is yes. But as a matter of emphasis, I, yeah. I lean with Chandler. Yeah. Like, yeah same here. Our, our greatest efforts and energies are going to be put into developing and building Christians. Yes. Um, not peddling to right on believers. Right. Even though, like Paul, even though Paul in the New Testament is like, hey. When unbelievers come into your gathering, blah, 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 blah. And so, like, there is this, like, yeah, of course we want non-believers and non-Christians to be a part of our right. church. But, right, yeah. Yeah. Hey, how's the coffee, dude? Uh, it's incredible, actually. It's really good. Is that good? First cup today. So, yeah, solid. I needed it. I got this I got this for Christmas from my sister. Oh, really? It's called Death Wish. Dark Roast. Yeah, yeah. It's called Death Wish, and it's got, like, a warning on it. Really? I probably should have told you that, but it's got a warning like maximum amount of coffee or caffeine possible. So. Oh, really? I love <laughs> yeah. it. I needed it. I, I needed that in my bones today. So I'm grateful that I got a warm cup from you. It's super good. Good. Super good, good man. Well, I, so I, 
I, I got to know, man. Like, when I first visited Cityscape, that was five years ago, mm-hmm. four and a half. It was before Frontier had planted. Yeah. And um, it was not a liturgical expression of church. You right. guys were meeting at, what's the bar? Gaslamp. Gaslamp. Yeah. It was, I, I, I love high energy. Yeah. I love passion. I love joy. Yeah. You guys embodied that. Yeah. But it was like, bam, 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 song, 15-minute sermon, bam, 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 and then peace. Yeah. You guys are now a church that practices liturgy. Yeah, we are. What in the heck happened, dude? Oh, man. Uh, a, a, a beautiful, long maturation process. Yes, okay. I'm sure. so excited to hear more about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, when you came, I remember you came, um, at the time when we planted Cityscape, um, I think, you know, every church planner has their influences, of course, and you look, kind of look to them as ways of, of trying to embody what they, what they do, uh, in your own way, in some ways. And so I, I think yeah, when I looked yeah. at Des Moines, I looked at the scape of Des Moines, um, and what I thought it was missing, my question I asked myself at the time was, well, what can I contribute to Des Moines from a church planning perspective? What kind of culture mm-hmm. of church um, and doing ministry can I can I bring to the city? And so uh, I knew I wasn't the guy who can just sit up there and kind of talk to you for 45 minutes at the time. Uh, I knew I also knew that I, sure. I didn't want to be the church that I didn't want to personally attend a church and serve a church where um, there wasn't a high level of energy. A lot of that was just the influence of growing up. Um, yeah, it yeah. was what I was familiar with. So we totally. grew up in a diverse culture in, you know, in California. So there, there was always high energy, upbeat music and whatnot. Um, there was, there was some charisma and, and, and whatnot. Um, there was certainly, um, uh, uh, permission to, to, to feel emotion and express that emotion during worship through music. Uh, but I, I wanted to create a younger version of that. And yeah, so a, a yeah, lot at the yeah. time I'm looking at Hillsong, Young and Free, I'm looking at, a lot of these churches that are, I think, are doing a great job with that, and so we want to try to emulate that in a in a Midwest Des Moines type way. Um, and so that was our goal. So when you came, it was you know the band and the music was loud. Um, the sermons weren't very long, sure. nor were they very yeah. in depth uh, as sure. far as you know um, theology is concerned. Um, and it was just kind of this this layout that we had, um, and then. Gosh, I love the passion, though, man. Yeah, I I think, and um, if obviously you're part of Frontier, probably if you're listening to this, I know we have non-Frontier people. But one challenge that I consistently have for our church is, I I, I want to see a more passionate expression of worship on Sunday yeah. mornings, yeah. and you guys have that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, and that 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 was something that I was grateful took place, and still am to this day, and it's something we yeah. still want to have. Actually, that passion. Um, even with uh, incorporating liturgy into our church and our style of worship, we still want there to be passion, right? And so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that passion was something that I, I think I wanted to exemplify. I wanted to come in and worship God passionately. And I wanted those around me, mainly our, our leaders, to embody that as well. So it just became part of our culture over time. Sure. And um, it was cool to see because it, it was just kind of innate within the people of Cityscape. Um and I think that's kind of what you experienced a little bit was just the the passion that was there that had been developed over time just through repetition. Yeah. And so I visited, when was the last time I visited? That was like six months ago, right? Four yeah. months ago, yeah. something like that. Yep. Um, but you have to realize my first touch point with you guys was when you were in that bar. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was my first experience. That was the way that I processed what was going on over there. That's the way I conceptualized Cityscape. Yeah. And when I visited like three, four, five months ago, 
my big takeaway was these are our people. Yeah. I mean, we always, right? Yeah, 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 like, yeah. We're always a part of the same body of right. Jesus. But right. when I when I came away from the last time I, I hung with you guys, I was like, whoa, like this is like the way that we do church. Yep, absolutely. What were some of the influences that kind of pushed you <laughs> and challenged you to grow in that way? Uh, Frontier Church. Really? Absolutely. Dude. I had, you know, I'd never grown up with liturgy in the way that it's expressed um, and how you express it and how we are starting to express it. I didn't, it wasn't familiar to me. Uh, and so when I told you when you came and that whole tagline of we're going to be your grandparents church, that intrigued me. What, is it, what does he mean by we're going to be your grandparents church? What does that, mm-hmm. what does that yeah. mean? I didn't necessarily, I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't touch it. And so for me, when I, when I went to Frontier, and I begin to see how you guys approach liturgy and incorporate liturgy into your worship Sunday gatherings. It started to make sense to me at the time. It still didn't because I was still so unfamiliar with um, some of the historical rootedness of liturgy. I hadn't had that intellectual context, and so sure. um, yeah. my first experience though was with you guys. And it was funny because I, at the time. I've always wrestled from the very beginning of Cityscape. I've had this conversation with a lot of my buddies. I've always wrestled with Cityscape. I never wanted Cityscape to be shallow. I didn't want want simply people to come to church just to come to church because the music was cool or because they liked the people or they liked the preaching. I really wanted people to know Christ. I really did. And so parts of me always want to kind of deviate and try something new. And so like I'm I'm naturally a pioneer. I I like to try new things and take risks. Mm -hmm. And And I never want to just do things just to do them. Uh, and so I've always wanted to incorporate parts of our worship that would challenge people. I've always wanted to challenge, 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 kind of confront and get in their face with certain yeah, things. Yeah. And so confession and repentance was our first thing we did. And we've been doing confession and repentance for the last six years of our church. Um, you guys do that before the service. Or we at do that the beginning before, of the service. We do the right? beginning. Yeah, we do that before we sing a song. We do that. Cool. It's the first thing we do. So we open with prayer and then we go into confession and repentance. And so but learning how to do confession and repentance well was initiated by you guys hmm. you guys were a deep influence on cityscape and our leadership team and i remember having conversations about yo you remember when frontier did this and the times we visited we remember they did this and let's what do you think about that or what do you think about this and we had those conversations and they started from there and it was it was wow, nuts dude man. and so that took wow. me down a rabbit hole of god i gotta i want to learn about this I want what what what's the beauty behind this? Why, why is without asking you directly? It was almost like let me go figure this out, and maybe I can come across something and stumble across something myself that might inspire me to potentially go that route. So, yeah, dude, you guys were you guys were definitely the first inspiration for myself and for our church. Dude, that makes me so happy yeah. to hear that, dude. Seriously, it was because you visited when we were in Woolies, right? Yeah, Woolies. Yep. So, yep. you know, this the first song ends. Mm-hmm. And then a litter just pitter-patters on the stage yep. behind, leads, and then we all respond corporately. Yes. What was, like, just be totally honest. Yeah. What was your first touch point with that like? I, you know what? I, I, I loved it. <laughs> Part of it was because I had come from a Methodist church and they had a traditional service. And I would, a lot of times, being a youth pastor and it being the earliest service, my responsibility was to lead that service. And so I remember the doxology, and I remember leading that. I remember singing the hymns. I remember the calls and responses and things like that. It didn't carry any weight for me at the time. It was just simply just work, if you will. But I remember doing it. So it wasn't unfamiliar to to do the call and response. But I think at the time when you guys did it, what what, what opened my eyes was this young church Mm. full of younger Mm -hmm. people doing it. 
this is not just for old people. So then that, yeah. that's where it started to make sense for me. We said, we want to be our grandparents' church. I'm like, oh, they're basically taking what these old people have done and they're, they're essentially bringing it up, uh, bringing it into the future of, of whatever it is they're trying to do. And so that's when I start really thinking about it. So that experience wasn't unfamiliar, but it, it was, it was, I don't know, I enjoyed it for the yeah, first time. Yeah. Honestly, it wasn't work. You know, it was like, oh, I kind of like this a little bit. It's different. Huh. That was, I think, my first experience with it for sure. And it, especially because uh, when you were describing yourself, that's one of the many similarities I think that you and me have yeah. is that that desire to challenge and yeah. confront and consistently coach and to mm-hmm. find weak spots yeah. and to speak into them. And so if that's like a part of who you are, then there's kind of this element of liturgy that's really, really punk. Mm-hmm. That's like, yeah, we, we know that this is out of fashion, yeah. but man, does it shape us. Yeah. And so we're going to do it still because it's going to yeah. challenge us. So I can see how you were drawn to that yeah. with that being such a part of your personality. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know, the funny thing was, I think when I make the distinction between my experience at the Methodist church and my experience with Frontier, um, it was that the Methodist church had expressed their form of liturgy in such a mundane going through the motions way. Yeah, yeah. So it lost its its umph. Mm-hmm. Frontier rejuvenated that. You got you guys were not only you guys were saying the same things they were saying, but there was there was belief and passion behind it, and it wasn't simply just going through the motions. And so I think that distinction for me is what really intrigued me into looking into uh, liturgy and, and understanding where this came from and what it means and, and why why people do it. Uh, yeah. Dude, that makes me... Because um, w- one of the things that I hear as a pushback uh-huh. is Jesus said that he hates vain repetitions. Uh-huh. I agree. Like, it's in the text. Yeah. Jesus does hate vain repetitions. Absolutely. What does he hate about them? He hates that they're vain. Yes. He right. doesn't hate repetitions. Right. I think that every day you should read your Bible. Yeah. Jesus doesn't hate it when you repeat that. Right. I think every day you should love your wife. Right. Jesus doesn't hate it when you repeat that. Right. What he hates about repetitions are, are when they're vain right. and insincere. Right. Um, I'm glad that was your experience. Can I, I'm going to share something with you. Yeah, of course. Whenever our liturgists lead on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. they've got they've got a, uh, a, a instructions at the beginning of the liturgy. Yeah. It's called Five Keys Towards Smooth, Helpful, and Non-Distracting Liturgy. Yeah. So if you lead liturgy at Frontier, this is what you read. Number one. Prayerfully and emotionally engage the liturgy before the service. This will help you lead it prayerfully and spiritually. Also, this will help sync your vocals with the scripture in the liturgy. Number two is kind of a no-brainer. Strategically position yourself in the service, right? Sit in the front so you're not blah, 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 blah. Um, Number three, the spiritual formation slide is your cue, blah, 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 blah. But number four, lead us in both the call and response. Mm -hmm. And number five, and this is the most important thing. So all of our liturgists need to read this every Sunday. Number five, worship Jesus, don't act. Hmm. Liturgy should have a particular feel. It should feel like prayer, not like performance. Yes. It serves our church best when it feels personal and heartfelt rather than theoretical and professional and theatrical. The single most important step to help our liturgy be maximally effective is to pray before leading with the specific aim to make the words your own. Uh, I like that, man. Yeah, I love that. You know the funny thing is? So I was hanging out with Tanner. Yeah. 
And you guys are going through Habakkuk right now, right? <laughs> yeah, bro. And so that first, I think it was the first week you guys started, maybe. Uh, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But it was the week uh, that, what was the week? I can't remember what it was. But nonetheless, he, he shared with me the, the liturgy that you guys read. And, oh, and so yeah. he sent me the actual the Google Doc. Yeah. Um, and oh, so, so you saw I that. read that. Well, you just, I read oh, that cool. a, couple, a couple of weeks ago. And so, um, and I read through the liturgy and actually we, we stole your guys' liturgy and we shared it last oh, week. Awesome, um, man. Because it was sweet. so good. I was just like, I really loved, um, I love the words uh, that were read. So um, there you guys, there goes Frontier again, influencing Cityscape and um, helping form and shape us in the right directions. So Owen, Owen Strand wrote a, a great article mm-hmm. and it was, and it was called three reasons young folks are getting that old time religion. Uh, I, I think that Des Moines is getting that old time religion. Yes. Right. Do you sense that maybe there's going to be a liturgical revival in Des Moines? Yeah. Dude, when we talk about revival, uh, I've told people this in the last few months. Uh, I think revival is less charismatic as it's been, thought of right in this big holy spirit movement where people are speaking in tongues and, and i think sure. it's more liturgical i do yeah, yeah. i think particularly in the midwest i think the culture of the midwest is is tailor-made for liturgy in my opinion the, the slow pacedness of the midwest uh, as opposed to living in the west right like it's 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 just the culture here is made for something like liturgy where we are accustomed to doing the same things over and over and over again. And we're okay with it. Mm-hmm. I just think that we have to find a way. I think the revival comes in and we become excited about re- finding repetition within the, the context of worship. Um, so I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's so much that comes with liturgy and I think that revival certainly looks more liturgical than it does charism- charismatic. Um, and in particular in the Midwest, if I'm thinking anticipatory, I'm, I'm thinking, shoot, more churches need this. Right, and right. more pe- more Christians need to be reading James K. Smith um, so that they're not surprised by what I believe is going to happen, without doubt. Yeah, you mentioned James K. A. Smith right there. <laughs> so a, a lot of our church members don't know who James K. A. Smith is. A lot do. I, I know one of our elders right now is is reading James K. A. Smith. He's yeah. reading Desiring the Kingdom because yeah. he's sending me all these snapshots of awesome quotes in the <laughs> yeah, book. But yeah. I read James K. A. Smith's Desiring the Kingdom um, before we planted Frontier. Shoot. And he was the main influence for why we planted a liturgical expression of church. Yeah. Because the church that planted us, Redeemer, yeah. they don't have a liturgical expression. Yeah. So James K. A. Smith writes about it's theology and liturgy and the yeah. place that it has in the church. So yeah. we're probably going to throw his name around a lot over these next 10 or 15 minutes. Church. Yeah. That's, that's who we're talking about when we talk about K.A. Smith. But I've noticed that you've been sharing quite a, quite a few, <sighs> quite, quite a lot of K.A. Smith on your Instagram. Walk us through that, man. Wow. So my first experience with him was Tanner, Tanner reading the desire of the kingdom. So at the time Tanner was at cityscape before he joined with you guys and yeah. he was reading it and he, it was, you are what you love. And uh, that was my first introduction. So I read through You Are What You Love. Blew my mind. Right. Dude. Blew my mind. I read that in 2019. Came into 2020. Just like, okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start working in this direction of incorporating liturgy into our church. Um, he's incredible. He's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I love him so much for what he's done. Um, he just... I love how he has really made a place 
to challenge the Christian perspective on how we worship. What is a, what is the most effective way to worship? Um, both from a developing a philosophical anthropology to uh, de- helping develop a a worshipful theology on how we should engage in worship. And I, he's just yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how you cannot read him and not think. I want to incorporate liturgy in my life somehow, some way. Because obviously not every person is going to be a pastor and be mm-hmm. in a position to to make effect and change in the church. But I certainly think that the average Christian who who would read this, and I have probably like 12 people reading this book right now, um, I don't know how you walk away and think, I want nothing to do with liturgy. I know. I know. Well, and, and you know that's the case, because if you're sitting in a room with you and me right now, yeah. you're, you're looking at a couple of young dudes. Yeah. Um, and you're thinking, how how do these guys lead churches that have liturgical expressions? Yeah. <laughs> right, seriously. Um, seriously. One, one place that K.A. Smith really challenged me was that the form of worship matters and mm-hmm. not just the content. Yes. I, I had been accustomed to thinking that the only thing that mattered was the content of worship. Yes. Is it gospel-centered? Yes. Is it orthodox in its theology? Right. Um, and those things are are irreplaceably important. Right. But what K.A. Smith showed me is that even the form of our worship matters. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, that, that, in chapter three, I think it's in You Are What You Love, I think he talks, he talks about that. It's, mm-hmm. It is form matters. Yeah. Um, in that, I think what we see a lot of times uh, in, and I call commercial Christianity uh, in America, uh, is, is this uh, encouragement to be a, uh, a spectator. Just to watch. 100%. Yeah. Right? I think and you're right. There's no participation. And I think that form of worship where you're encouraging people to spectate and not participate is 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 um, damaging to the believer because I, it doesn't give them the opportunity to allow the Spirit to meet them meet them where they are. And he talks about that a lot. And so I think form matters, certainly. And, uh, you know, and that was challenging for me as well, was it's not just the content, all right? But, but also in Desiring the Kingdom, he talks about this reality that we're, we're, we're lovers before we're thinkers. Yeah, right? oh, dude, huge fan of this concept. Oh, man, yeah. we're lovers for thinkers. And so ultimately, he says, he talks about, he, he attacks Christian education. And he says, we've we developed this, this understanding that in order to be a Christian, you have to attain this Christian worldview. And so this whole worldview talk is damaging because it just reduces Christianity to having doctrines, attaining doctrines and beliefs. Mm-hmm. So the issue, though, is that we're lovers before we're thinkers. So if we simply intellectualize right, right. the gospel and we think that we we can think our way to holiness or think our way to Christ-likeness, you know, and I think that was my issue. I, I'm looking at the scope of Christianity in the West in particular. I'm looking at how we engage in politics. I'm looking at mm, um, the mm-hmm. context of marriage, the context of parenthood, the context of being within a church. And I'm seeing Christians just being drugged through the mud. Yeah, yeah, big time, dude. And I'm like, what is what is going on? If I, if I see and read what the scriptures say, I'm certainly experiencing a gap between what the scriptures say to be true and what's happening in people's real lives, including my own. And I think part of the issue was simply that we, we believe that we can think our way to holiness. And so this form matters in the sense that mm-hmm. I think liturgy yeah. does a good job of, you know, he says that liturgy is the way of training the heart through the body. Right. Love yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's what got me right there. I, I think one of the one of the pastors who's proved this to me with like the easiest analogy that we're lovers before we're thinkers mm-hmm. is one time I heard a pastor um, get on his church mm-hmm. and he was saying, 
Man, some of you guys out there, you, you tell me that you can't read deep theology. You tell me that you can't understand deep doctrine. You, you tell me that you're just not into memorizing truths about God's nature. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, we start talking about a football team. And yeah. You can rattle off exactly who their quarterback is, how many yeah. interceptions he threw, how many completions he had, what his quarterback rating. And all of a sudden, dude, right. you're, you're a brilliant. Right. So the issue is not that you can't learn deep things, yeah. deep facts, deep statistics, deep theology. The issue is that you love football and you don't love God. Right, right. So if you get that love piece, if you get that passion piece, everything else follows. Yes. Everything else follows. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Have you, you have, because Frontier Church has experienced this too, but what, what types of pushback do you get from some of your church members when you, when you first integrated a liturgical expression into your worship gatherings? It's just the people often criticize what they don't understand. Um, yeah. And so I think that um, people, they don't get why the change, and, it, and they also don't get what we've changed to. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's so many different dynamics to this because on one, on one end, you just have the, the cultural shock of what they've been used to within their Christian faith, right? If totally. someone's grown up in the church and they've had a way, a form of doing worship, and um, they're used to that, and Cityscape in some ways has, has continued to supplement that reality or that experience, um, there's that one thing. Then I also think there's also the other dynamic of the ethnic dynamic, where you have black people, like my church being diverse, you have black folks in my church who are like, why are we worshiping like old white people? Oh my gosh, I would love to hear you expound on this. Right? Like, yeah. why, why are we doing that? It, it almost feels like a diss to them. You as a black pastor are not conforming to the, old, the way of worship that old white people have done historically. We don't like that. Why are you doing it? So you have that dynamic as well. So you're wow. dealing with um, a plethora of different reasons as to put uh, different forms of pushback that come from so many different types of context. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's it's having to sit down with people and explain to them. But then, I, you know, what I realized was I needed to do a better job of using scripture to help us understand what it means to be human. Yeah, because yeah. simply just saying we're going to do liturgy and and uh, this is going to develop good habits that eventually will shape and form our hearts wasn't good enough. These mm-hmm. people want the Bible. They want what does yeah. scripture? What do the scriptures have to say about? It? I don't care what James K. Smith has to say. I don't really care about a philosophical anthropology. What does the Bible have to say about something yeah. like liturgy? And so having to um, use scripture and leverage the realities and truths of scripture as a way of kind of pushing the agenda of liturgy in our church has been unique. But yeah, there's been all kind of pushback on, on that. And the, the most difficult one, like I told you, was why are we worshiping like old white folks? Yeah, how do you respond to that? I, that's a super fascinating question to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's a legit question. Um, and I think my first response was, I don't really know how to answer that question. Hmm. But I actually took time to talk. I said, I got to get back to you on that one. Um, and I think what I had to help them understand was that the way that old white people used to worship wasn't wrong. Oh, that sure. yeah. liturgy is a form of worship uh, that's been forged over centuries, right? It's it's it has depth, it has biblical shape, and the content helps form those who participate in it. Yeah, and yeah. so and so 
I had to kind of take them away from the types of people that were incorporating liturgy into worship and just looked at liturgy itself objectively and say, this is what liturgy is. This is what I believe liturgy does. Is this something you want to participate in? Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't really know how to answer the question as far as, you know, why do old why are we worshiping the way old white people do? Uh, I think there's a lot of underlining assumptions there that I think take away from just liturgy itself. And so my my focus went from less of focusing on the way old white people worshipped, uh, or the old white people who worshipped, to how did they worship and why did they worship that way and why should we look at it um, as something to incorporate into our church? If that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I would like I would want them to see that um, that Israel was Israel was not a bunch of old white right, dudes, and, right. and their primary way of worshiping in the temple was liturgical in its expression. Right, right. We we have liturgies in the Bible. We even have right. an entire psalm that's a call and response liturgy. Right. Um, the early church, their primary method was liturgical in nature. Right. Um, Augustine. Right. Not a white dude. No. Um, huge proponent of liturgy. So I think I'd want him to see that not only is liturgy biblical, but liturgy is the inheritance of an ethnically diverse people group. Right, right. And that and that was that was yeah. kind of the point for me was it was like let's look at let's look at where we're getting this from. Let's not yeah, focus so much yeah. on who's done it based right. on your knowledge That's of good. history. But let's let's where are we getting this from? And these old white people are actually getting it from people who look more like you than they do cold dikey. Oh my gosh! Right. Yeah, and you're so right. yeah, so let's so there's a beauty there that if we if we go to the scriptures and we're looking for liturgy in the scriptures, like you said, you just gave a whole list of where we can find liturgy. Then you're understanding that someone like Augustine, who was an African church father, who had dark skin, used liturgy as a way of helping shape and form his desires, his heart, and uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I just think and, and and also you know I did a lot of research on. Um, liturgy in the historical black church. I just I spent a lot of time this last year studying the history of the black church, and liturgy was certainly a component, an integral component in how they, in their how they worshipped. So, wow. um, yeah, there's a lot yeah. a lot of history there if you just you know take the time to look at it. Was there was there any reason why? I mean, I really don't know as much about the black church as I probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, was there? a reason why black church departed from liturgical expression or has it really even departed from well it depends from yeah it's a good question it depends in historically speaking um a lot of the churches that that i was studying were breakoffs of the methodist church so okay. you get the african-american methodist uh methodist church or the uh african-american episcopalian church and so they were they were breaking off of this form of tradition that had incorporated liturgy and so they 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 really only practiced what they knew and what were familiar with. Yeah. I think yeah. over time, okay. I think in some ways the church became secularized. And I also think that black culture changed. And so I think that um as it shifted, I think so did their form of worship. Um and so from what I read, you know, it's interesting because a lot of these black churches, if you look at if you look at like some of these um these um, these these uh, my gosh, my mind's going blank. Some of these old slave songs. Oh, sure, right? yeah. These old spirituals. They yeah. they tend to repeat themselves over and over right. again. Right. There's a lot of repetition there, and the repetition is there as a way of not forgetting the really essence of what they're singing. Right. It's it's to kind of almost as a way of 
getting the the lyrics into their bones, right? right. And, and and starting to believe what you're singing, right? As a way of, as a way of repetition. So this this found its way also in the black church. So a lot of these songs they're singing were coming from uh, wanting to believe what they were singing more than it just being words coming from their mouth. They really wanted to believe and catch the essence. Um, so much so that it was in their bones that they believed it. And that was the beauty of liturgy. Liturgy is repetition. It's doing this form of worship over and over again and it begins mm. to shape and form you. And, and, and the way they wanted to be shaped and formed was they wanted to be a people who weren't necessarily being free, but felt free. Right? There was this mental freedom. There was a spiritual freedom yeah, that came with yeah. being a follower of Christ that although sociologically they weren't free, right, within their spirit, within their soul, they could feel free. So that repetition uh, was yeah. a way of forming them and allowing them to feel that freedom, wow. although their real life contradicted that reality. Um, but we lost that as culture changed and as sure. freedoms began to be implemented more and more in black culture, there was less need for repetition. Um, and so... That's kind of what I've read about liturgy in the black church. That's such a good analysis, dude. I had never yeah. thought about it that way. But um, the the desire for repetition, and I just think that's a more beautiful form of worship than what what I think what I think dictates the the majority of postmodern um, evangelical Christians, which yeah. is novel idolatry. Yeah, right. I think that's like the central yeah. idol to most Western people yeah. is novel idolatry. Mm-hmm. This idol of okay, give me something new, give me whatever's next. Yes. I want the next great thing. Yes, give me the next great message. Yes. Teach me the next great teaching. Give me the next thing, rather than kind of that deeper, more ancient, robust. Like hey, yes. Hammer the gospel into me. Yes. Hammer biblical truth into me week after week after week after week right. until I wake up in the morning. Right. And that's the first thing going through my mind. Right. Right. And in liturgy is not that because it it's less about the instant gratification. It's right. about seeing the fruit of it over time. So if you have a if you can develop some kind of diligence within your spirit, within your mind, liturgy is something that you will begin to participate in. Uh, specifically, ancient historical Christian liturgy. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, you're not going to get it right off the bat. You're not going yeah, to yeah. recite the Apostles' Creed and, 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 and that be in your bones. You know, you're not going to uh, sing some hymns, right? And, and, and it just comes alive. You're going to do it over and over and over again, right? You're going to recite it over and over again. You're going to sing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You're going to confess and repent. And the more you confess and repent, the more you'll feel the pardon. The more you experience God's grace within the confession and repentance um, and assurance that comes with that, yeah, right? The more yeah. you're going to be assured that God has forgiven you. Because certainly I think, you know, in real life, most Christians don't feel, they, they, they struggle with what does it feel like to be forgiven? You know, we, we, we confess and we repent, mm-hmm. right? But man, I still feel the shame. I still feel the, the guilt around my sin, though I've confessed and repented. And it's one of those things where they have to develop within themselves um, the repetition and confessing and repenting, right? So much so hopefully that they're doing it on Monday and Tuesday right. in private and not just on Sundays. Because um, most people wake up in the morning and the first thing going through their mind is an imaginary argument from their spouse yesterday. Yeah. And isn't it a more beautiful thing to wake up in the morning and have the Lord's Prayer going through your right. mind? So here's right. actually one way, dude, that I've 
pastored people who are skeptical towards a liturgical expression of church. Yeah. I've told them, I want to pastor you well through the nursing home. Yes. <laughs> I, know, I know that you feel yeah. healthy right now, and I know that you feel vibrant right now, and I know you feel energetic yeah. right now, but there's going to come a time where you're going to be old yeah. and forgetful yeah. and weary. And um, so one story I tell them is, Chloe used to work in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the people that she cared for in the nursing home, a lot of her friends in the nursing home that she cared for, um, they had a lot of memory problems. And so things that they couldn't remember were things like their own name, sometimes their own background, sometimes the name of their wives, the name of their parents, the name of their children. They would forget, they would forget fundamental things like that. But she said, you know what they always remember? The Lord's Prayer. Hmm. So these people, dude, hmm. they they couldn't remember their own names, yep. but when somebody said the Lord's Prayer, they could join in with yep. them. Yep. And so I want to give people spiritual anchors that they can hold on to, even when their entire world around them melts away and yep. they lose their memory. They will still have an inhabitation of the Spirit right. to meet Jesus in. And so I'm interested in shepherding you to die well. Yeah. That's wonderful. Not absolutely. just to have a hot Sunday, which yeah. I want you to have a hot Sunday. Right, right, right. But absolutely, and that's yeah, that's that's the point. I think it's again, like you talked about the article that you read. You know, this generation coming up, our generation, this generation coming up is craving that. Mm-hmm. They just don't know where to find it. Yeah, you know, it's it's not um, it's not a familiar way of engaging with the spirit. Right, it's not a formal, a familiar way of, of doing, and being a part of the church, and worshiping God. So I think though, as the culture, um, kind of bleeds itself out, because um, mm. it certainly it's dying. I think that they're they're gonna look for a source of life, and and that's why I think this church, the church really needs to kind of reconsider its approach to ministry. I think. You know, if we want to get specific, you know, these inspirational messages are killing Christians. People who have a genuine, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ are suffering. Yeah. And because these inspirational messages are not giving them the substance that's necessary uh, in the midst of our sanctification. we We need substance because the world is competing for our heart. Right, we live. If you can become a, a secular liturgist, the, the world is competing for our heart and our desires. And everywhere we go, there's something beckoning for our heart. And if we don't develop the spiritual wherewithal and the spiritual habits of being able to, in the middle of a lie, tell, say the truth, say some form of truth that comes from scripture, um, an inspirational quote mm-hmm. is not going to help you tear down a lie. That Satan suggests what's going to tear down a lie and what's going to set you free is truth. And that comes from scripture. And so we have to find a way to get scriptural and biblical truths into the bones of God's people and um, and allow them to see the beauty yeah. of that. You know, because our, our generation and the next is hungering and thirsting for something. Yeah, I I think they're also really really skeptical. Yeah, and um, how do I want to say this? I I think that a deeper approach to church, whether that's liturgical expression in worship or expository preaching, 
I think that a deeper approach to church is the answer to deeply rooted skepticism in yes. young people. Like young dude, young young people just do not trust authority figures like they used to in the nineteen fifties and sixties and seventies. You don't you don't have to be a brilliant cultural analysis to look at the way that people view cops is different now right. than thirty years ago. The way that right. people view pastors is different than yeah. thirty years ago. The way yeah. that people view Public school teachers is right. different than 30 years ago. People no longer trust people's credibility right. based on the authority, posi- the position of authority that they have. Yes. And I think as a result of that, people are less interested in hearing what's on my heart yes. on Sunday mornings because they don't naturally trust me as a pastor like they would have 30 years ago. Yes. So they're skeptical and they're like, dude, I'm just not that interested in what's going through your mind right now. Right. What they are interested in, what is something that has survived the test of time? Yes. And has survived many different traditions and backgrounds. Give me that because I'm not just going to trust you because you're a pastor. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I was listening to this interview with Kanye West and Kanye was <laughs> yeah, just talking dude. about how he loves expository preaching. I couldn't believe it. I listened to that. I'm like, yeah. what world am I listening? Like, what yeah. world do I live in? This right. is awesome. It's beautiful that he under that he knew that he could create the distinctive lines between inspirational preaching and my from my heart preaching and, and expository preaching. And he said, and I love what he said. He says, you know, I'm a celebrity. So when I go out into the world, you know, everything's about subjectivity, everything's about my experience, everything's about me, me, me. That's the culture of, of the secular world. Because what I want is I want a preacher who's not going to tell me what he thinks. I want a yeah, preacher baby. who's going to walk line by line, verse by verse through the text and tell me objectively what is true. And it was just, I said, what, what beauty, what beauty comes from a celebrity like Kanye? who acknowledges his need for objective truth. Mm. Mm. To rely on something, like you said, that has stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. To be able to see that expository preaching is the answer to this postmodern world of relativism and no absolute truths, right? And I, I just, there's a, there's a deep craving, but again, I think that the issue that we have is mobilizing the church in such a way to where people know where to come and get it. Because I think for the most part, when people think about evangelical Christianity and they scroll through Instagram, they're not going to come across a frontier or a cityscape. They're going to come across right. other bigger mega churches that aren't doing that form, that aren't incorporating liturgy yeah. and yeah. in line by line expository preaching um, in their gatherings. And so, Essentially, the word has to get out, and I think it will by the whole, by the way of the Holy Spirit, that this is what you need. That is actually better. I, you know, I think someone like Kanye needs to be less around these mega church pastors, and he needs to sit himself in a small local church somewhere in some small city and to <laughs> yeah, be discipled. Bro. Yeah, bro, that that's what he so needs. Dope, right? Yeah. That's what he needs. He needs to go to Frontier Church so Cole Dyke can have him over in his basement and disciple the mess out of that dude. That's I'll what he him needs. Some death wish coffee. Making some death wish coffee, right? In a chemist. Right. <laughs> and 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 let him sit under your shepherding and under your teaching. That's what he needs. Yeah. Right? Because this whole celebrity thing, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't change the need of the human soul. And so, um, yeah, I, I, this liturgy thing, man. It's a big deal. It's isn't a big it? deal. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. 
Yeah, we were talking about Eugene Peterson before we pressed record and how yeah. he I disagree with a lot of his theology, but his theology of pastoral ministry is so good. Mm-hmm. And he mentions the humility of of the humility that's involved in liturgy. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even like you're saying, Kanye is starting to get this. Kanye knows that he doesn't need meology, he needs theology. Yep. And quite frankly, people are getting tired of pastors pandering to non-Christians. Yeah, absolutely. And so when what Peterson goes on to do is he says, it's unbelievably humbling to show up there on a Sunday morning and have somebody not give you the microphone to tell what everybody what's on your heart, but instead by having them lead you through a prayer yes. that somebody 1,500 years ago prayed. You have to get over yourself. <laughs> you have to recognize that the prayer did not spontaneously originate in your thinking. Yes. You have to realize that the prayer did not spontaneously originate in your ingenuity. Yeah. You've got to get over yourself and enter the life of somebody else. And yes. I was like, that's it, bro. That's it. That's it. What 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 think imagine how good it feels to live a life in faith that isn't about you. Mm. The amount of pressure that's alleviated that comes that comes with that, mm-hmm. where we can where we can walk into a church building on a Sunday morning with our brothers and sisters in Christ with the church, and everything is so God focused. Yeah, bro. Everything is so Jesus saturated that we don't come to church to be rescued. We come to church to exemplify our reverence, right? Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, we get rescued by way of our reverence for him first. And that's been my message to Cityscape. Don't come here and don't sing songs so God can rescue you because it's not about you. Because immediately what you're doing is you're putting yourself at the forefront and worship is now about you. You're at the very core of worship. That's called idol. That's idolatry. And God, that's a form of worship that God will not accept where you are at the center and at the core of your own worship. Mm-hmm. He will mm-hmm. not receive that. And this is when you get to Matthew 7, these people come to Christ and say, look, we do all these wonderful things in your name. We went to church every single Sunday in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, you lawless people, for I never knew you. Because mm-hmm. every form of worship that you express, though it looked like worship on the outside, it was always about you and your own That's heart. That's what's up, dude. Right? And yeah. liturgy is a way of taking the focus off of us because we don't create it. It's going back, like you said, and it's bringing things from the past and from history, and it's bringing it to the forefront and allowing us to exercise and participate in things that we did not create, that are constant reminders that it's not about us. Yeah, and yeah. now the Spirit can meet you where you're at, because where you're at is not about you. Right. Right. And it's this, he talks about, James K. James K. Smith talks about this expressivism worship, right? It's, we're not trying to impress God with our worship so we don't have to always throw our hands up and run around the room and scream. Right. Rather, it's top down rather than bottom up. And I think that liturgy allows us to worship well. Yeah. There, dude, there's this poem by Wendell Berry. Yeah. Your guy. My dude. My dude, Wendell. Um, and, and Berry, it's, it's just a description of, him at the end of a work day watching the sun go down over mm-hmm. the horizon mm-hmm. and he he explains it through this poem about his fascination with the the sun setting and how enveloped he's in it and at the end of the poem he has this line where he talks about oh the freedom of self-forgetfulness yes so for for Barry and I would argue for the Christian the pathway to freedom is self-forgetfulness of being caught up in something that's greater than yourself. Yes. In Barry's case, the sun going down. 
in in our case, the sun going down for three days and then being resurrected, <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, I, I've got a crazy imagination, so I think a lot of stupid things. Yeah, uh-huh. I love it. So this, this is kind of a stupid image, but it's been effective for me. A lot of times when I think about church on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. in my imagination, at the very front of, of Noche where we worship, yeah. I imagine that there's a metal detector, huh. <laughs> but it's not a metal detector. It's a self detector. Oh, and you yeah. walk through Walked that thing, through and when you've got an I ego or a self, it goes beep, yep. and you take that off, you set it aside. And then you join the people of God. Yes, I love that. Don't That's, you wish you right. could invent that a self yeah. detect, an ego right. detector? Right, Beep. but you know what? But you know what that is, though. You know, they're, they're, again, I, I always use this thing because I, I think that um, you know James Jamie Smith talks about Sunday gatherings being a spiritual gymnasium, right? Yes, yes. And it's it's a place where you're stretched and you're pulled, right? And you're reminded that it's not about you. But I also think too, too that if you think about the context of your life, and I think about my life. There are certain places I don't want to practice where I rather execute, right? Yeah, this, these sports yeah. for it. When yeah. I go play a game of basketball and it's actually game day, I don't want to be practicing a new move in the game. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. I want to execute what I've been practicing, which means I have to find a different time to practice or a different place to practice outside of the game. When I think about my marriage, mm. I don't want to practice something new in my marriage. I want to execute. Right. So I don't want to be practicing patience with my wife. I want to execute patience, which means I should be practicing patience somewhere else outside of my marriage, outside of parenting my boys. Right. And so it's finding your place of practice. And I think a lot of times we talk about walking through that metal detector. If there was a if there was a, a certain metal detector for us to walk through so that when we showed up. Uh, on Sunday to worship with the saints. Uh, Our worship was so God-saturated, so Jesus-focused, so Christ-centered that we're nowhere in the picture. I certainly think it's what he says in You Are What You Love, finding ways to worship at home. Mm. That your worship isn't just happening on a Sunday, but that you're taking your worship home. So you develop habits in your private place that can be executed in your, the public place, in the public gathering. And so if we and I, I love this metal detector, but it's where would, and, and instead, instead of placing it there on a Sunday, right? Because I would imagine. Right next to our bed. Right. Every day. Right, every day. Because I need, yeah. to, I, need, I need still need to maintain yeah. that focus with my wife. Right. With my boys. Not just with Christ, right? If, if yeah. we're as husbands are called to Christ, love our love wives as Christ loved the church, Shoot, I, I think I need to walk to a metal detector like that every, or a self, <laughs> selfish detector like that yeah, yeah. every day, a self-focused detector like that every day, because I can find myself being selfish in, in all kinds of ways. Even on 235, I can find myself being selfish if I don't want to let someone in because I just don't want to let them in. That sounds really specific. Yeah. Like you've gone through it. I, I may have had some <laughs> issues or may be working through some issues. Um, I can be a jerk sometimes. So it's it's a friend of mine. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine once did that. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So you guys have been practicing a liturgical expression of worship for a year? A year, yeah. Have you seen any fruits or benefits and pros that have come from that? So you get a, you get a baby Christian. It's, this is so dope. You get a baby Christian who comes in at the beginning of us starting to incorporate liturgy. Mm-hmm. They trust the process. They start to fall in love with the process. They begin to. I'm watching baby Christians come in yeah, who know nothing yeah. about scripture, know very little about what it means to be a Christian, right? Love the Lord, but don't know how to live that out. 
in our in the process of working out the salvation. I'm watching them go through the ritual and the habits of and practices of liturgy. And I'm seeing, in my opinion, from my experience, the way the Lord intended it to look like within the church. Mm. As far as the process of sanctification for the believer. And this this process of working out your salvation, this process of he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. I'm, I'm watching the Lord and the Holy Spirit just work out the kinks in their life and watching mm-hmm. them become more like Christ quicker than people who've been a part of our church for the last five years and before we start doing liturgy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. I'm seeing them go through this process and be and 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 they're and they're so so one one girl in our church comes to me and says, um, I was struggling, she was struggling, you know, the seasonal depression, I was struggling, and I was having a moment where I was just really starting to get down. Mm. And I started to recite the Apostles' Creed. Whoa, dude. Dude. She said that I said over and over again. I said I told myself over and over again. Yeah. And she said that 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 was that reciting the Apostles' Creed worked me out of my depression that she's very familiar with. See, th- this is this is why James K. A. Smith says that liturgy is discipleship. Yes. It is discipleship. Yes, yes. It's a. It's a. He says it's a. It's less about knowing and believing, and more about hungering and thirsting. Right? Like discipleship is more about hungering and thirsting than it is knowing and believing. And I think in that particular case, when she's in a position where she's very familiar with being depressed, the seasonal depression is very real in her life. She's never been given a tool that mm. would allow her mm-hmm. to work her way out of it. Yeah. So she always just kind of dealt with it. Yeah. Until she walked into the doors of our church and began to be discipled by way of liturgy and was given and equipped with tools to help her work through even things like seasonal depression, right? And by reciting the Apostles' Creed. She didn't say some voodoo prayer about, she just recited biblical truths that reminded her mind and her spirit of who she was. And we've always said, like he says, the, the Apostles' Creed is... The Pledge of Allegiance for the Kingdom of God. Yes, dude. Oh, I right? love that line. I was hoping you'd bring that one yeah. up. So that's what she, she, for her, it was it was the words, but it was what the words represented. She says, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a child of the king. I'm a kingdom citizen. It is my right to be free because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Therefore, I don't have to be term, uh, uh, tormented by this, this depression in whatever form it happens. I can, I'm, I can be free from it. Hmm. And just the power of believing that and the Holy Spirit utilizing her faith in that way and freeing her from that. It was just incredible. Amazing, <laughs> dude. You've been doing it for a year now. Dude, as, as a pastor, I would say that over the course of this year, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, after as you guys have been confessing these confessional truths together, if it did not make one single positive impact on any church, besides that one moment of seasonal depression, yeah. it would be worth it. Yeah, dude. Just for that one moment, for that one girl experiencing seasonal depression, if that's the only fruit mm-hmm. as a result of that year, I would say it's worth it. Yeah. And, and I know that it's not. There's so much more. There's yeah. so many other examples of that. I mean, just, dude, I could go off and on. Like, people just, you know, so we started reciting the law, right? And the humility yeah. that comes with that. 
We just say we just recite the Ten Commandments. And it's a reminder that we are outside of God's grace, cannot keep the law. Yeah. That we need his help just to just to keep the law. Sure. Peep the humility that is being exercised in people. Someone says, I wanted to argue with my wife. I didn't because I remember us reciting the law on Sundays and it reminded me of how humble I need to be and how humble I am not. Right. And so me wanting with my, me wanting to argue with my wife was simply me exercising my pride and me wanting to be right more than it was anything else. Yeah. And so I remember reciting the law and I remember saying the Ten Commandments and remember how much I need God's grace in order to be humble. Because mm-hmm. what I've forgotten about in that moment was my need for God's grace. And me leaving God's grace behind led me to a, a road of pride and me wanting to argue with my wife. I'm like, dude, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're, we're both, we both can argue with our wives. We, we're not, mm-hmm. that's not unfamiliar to us. Yeah, yeah, but yet totally. to be able to control yourself by ways of the Holy Spirit reminding you of, to be humble because of reciting the law, which, which is a part of our liturgy. Like, yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. And I think that it also illustrates a fundamental truth about reality as a human being. And that fundamental truth is that when people experience conflict and when they experience depression and mm-hmm. when they get punched in the face by life, where do they go? They go to their subconscious. Yes. That's where they, that's where they go. Right. And what will they not find in your subconscious? A sentence you said from a sermon. Right. I love that. I love that. Right. A spontaneous moment in worship right. service. Those things aren't in the subconscious. Exactly. What's in the subconscious? Your habits. Your habits. Things you do over and over and over yes. again. And so if I can pastor my people by putting the Christology statement in their subconscious. Yes. Or the Apostles' Creed in their subconscious. Yes. Or the Ten Laws in their subconscious. Yes. Then when my people get punched in the face by life, they'll find that down there. It's there. there. Whoa, that it's was there. just a light bulb moment for me. I, I never thought about that before. Yep. That's good, Cam. Yeah, that man. was helpful for me. Dude, we're over an hour right now. Wow. Doesn't even feel like it. Um, I'm getting a little hungry. Okay. You want to go get some lunch? Yeah, let's do it. You like Jethro's? Absolutely. No question. Real quick, real yeah. quick. Based on what you know about Frontier Church, mm-hmm. encourage us. Keep going. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing and keep doing it well. Keep worshiping well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how any of your people feel about liturgy if they're they're certain, starting to see the fruits of it. But it, doing liturgy itself is not the point. Right. Reciting the Apostles' right. Creed just to recite the Apostles' Creed isn't the point. It's understanding the why. And I think if we can capture the why and we can fall in love with the why, then I think that will, we'll, I think you guys will go far. I mean, you guys don't go far, but I, I just mm-hmm. think that it will continue to further what God is doing, the mission of your church, um, the joy of Des Moines that you guys want to see realized in the city will take place because I, I believe that liturgy is a way to that joy. And I just think you guys got to keep going. Don't stop. Do not stop. People need mm-hmm. what's happening. You guys are being, you guys, Frontier is a futuristic church. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, it, it, and the, the culture is, you are far ahead of culture right now. And eventually culture will catch up to where you're at. But you guys have already, it's like the whole statement, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Frontier Church is staying ready so you guys don't have to get ready. Many other churches in this country will have to try to play catch up with culture. Right? Yeah, yeah. You guys are ahead of culture and culture's trying to catch up with you. So keep doing what you're doing. I'm telling you, if you're being an anticipatory leader like you are, you know what's coming. So you're 10 steps ahead. 
Sure. Yeah. And it just getting your people to trust in you and your vision that you have. Trust them, you guys. Trust your pastor. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust your elders. They are leading you guys effectively and well. Keep fighting. I love what you guys are doing. I'm Man, so in love with it. I love you. That's such a good word. Uh, K.A. Smith, you know this because you've read his work, but he talks about, he has this sweeping cultural analysis mm-hmm. where he talks about the move after post-modernity. You don't go from post-modernism to post-postmodernism. Mm-hmm. He goes, you go from post-modernism to pre-modernism. Yeah. So he's got this great line where he says, the future is ancient. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, because what history repeats oh. itself. It's just what it is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I love what you guys are doing. Based on what you know about us, what's one place you want to challenge us as a local church? I think bragging bragging more about the liturgical side of what you're doing. I know it's sure. become normalized to you. Yeah. It's still unique. Okay. It's still yeah. very unique. And I, I'm telling you, I think you guys got to create some kind of project. We we were going to do a project around this, we call it the liturgy project. But like, do you, you want to do it? Make we a big deal about it. Yeah. yeah. We Make a big it. deal about it. Absolutely. Let people know that this is what we do. I, and again, I know it's normal for you guys. So it's in its way, it's, it's, it's become second nature, if you will, to you. But to everyone else, it's it's what they yeah. do liturgy. There are younger yeah. church that does liturgy. Like make that a big deal. Like let people know that Frontier Church is a church that is liturgical in nature. Um, because again, I think it shines a light on on you as far as what culture needs and what people want. Dude, that's a good word. Yeah, I've got really good news for you. Just that Thursdays at Jethro's. Half off boneless wings, bro. Oh, let's go. They're so good. Let's go. Dry rub, baby. (laughs) Uh, Frontier Church, we love you guys. Cityscape Church, if you guys are listening, we love you guys too. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, whether you're a part of Frontier Cityscape or, or whatever you are part of, we hope that this conversation helps you worship local.